You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Integrated Pharmacist Podcast. I am your host, Adam Ballio. Americans spend over $30 billion on complementary and alternative medicine each year. As healthcare professionals, we need to know the facts. Let's find evidence-based medicine together. This podcast is not designed to be used for medical or legal advice. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of the Integrated Pharmacist Podcast. This is a very special episode. This is my very first episode with guests. I have with me Dr. Pam Tarlow and Dr. Swathi Varanasi. And uh, they are in the very first, if I understand correctly, the very first pharmacy uh, residency program that deals with complementary and alternative medicine. Is that correct? We prefer to call it integrative medicine because it encompasses many things, including Mm -hmm. regular medications. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, Dr. Tarlow, why don't you start out? um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are and, uh, and how you got into what you're doing now. I'd be happy to. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, and I've enjoyed your previous podcast. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Well, when I started in natural medicine about 25 years ago, it wasn't as popular as it is now. And I found that both my patients in the community pharmacy that I was working and both my own health required something beyond what the doctors were prescribing for me. I didn't have a serious condition. I just had a a nagging chronic condition. And so I got exposed to it in the mid nineties, right around the time the Deshae got passed and took a great interest in it because I saw how natural products had pharmacological action, which one was very interesting and two meant they could affect drug therapy. That really interested me. And more and more as I studied it and benefited from it, so did my patients start asking me more questions and clinicians also. That's kind of the short story about, it just keeps becoming more and more interesting. Botanical medicine, um, vitamins, minerals, bioactive, nutraceuticals, homeopathics, aromatherapy, a lot of different things, uh, some of which you've already spoken about in your previous podcasts. I was thrilled to hear your aromatherapy podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was instrumental in helping my respiratory health, aromatherapy, and still is. I use it every single day by choice. Fantastic. I love that. And then um, because I've been doing it for a while, decided to give back to the profession and started having some uh, API students come in, the experiential students come in in their fourth year to do either a four week or a six week rotation. That's how Dr. Varanasi and I met Mm -hmm. a couple years ago from South Carolina. She decided Mm -hmm. to come to Santa Monica. Wow. (laughs) 
she spent a very intense four weeks with us. Mm -hmm. And at that point, she still tell you, decided to come back for a year's worth of training. I can do a lot with people in four to six weeks, but really need more like six months to a year to show them how our training as pharmacists really lends itself to help with patient outcomes with natural medicines. I absolutely agree. That's actually one of the reasons I started this podcast. Good. All right. Dr. Varanasi, it's your turn. Uh, how did you get to where you are? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, so I grew up there and then I went to college out in Minnesota and then I moved to South Carolina for pharmacy school. So I've kind of lived all over the place. Um, and throughout that, I've always, I've always been interested in nutrition and integrative health. But I kind of always thought it was something that I would pursue on the side. I never thought that my pharmacy career would lend itself to integrative health until I had, I heard about the rotation at Santa Monica Homeopathic. And once it ended up coming together and I had the February rotation, it, it all just made sense. And I, I had talked to a lot of other people who had gone through like the fellowship process and other interview processes. And they said like, once you find your fit, you know, and there was like something that just like clicked and like sparked when I was there. And so I'm super excited to be back. And it's just such an incredible opportunity to learn because we're focusing on mainly like nutrition, pharmacogenomics and cannabinoid medicine, which we'll talk about today. Um, and so we've been able to like delve into those three. Um, I have the opportunity to volunteer at a free HIV clinic. Um, and there I'm putting together a research project with student acupuncturists and acupuncturists. Um, and then also I'm very involved in the AFI program. So I get to kind of get my feet wet with mentoring and then putting together slide decks with Dr. Tarlow and um, participating in teaching as well. Wow, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Sounds really great. Thank you both for sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, today we're going to be talking about cannabinoid therapy, which is a very hot topic these days. Um, I'd like to start off by asking um, to go over some of the history of cannabinoid use. Yeah, sure. I can talk a little bit about that. So the oldest known written record comes from the Chinese emperor Shen Nung, um, and that was like all the way 3000 BC or even before that. Um, and the plant was used there and throughout Greece, Rome, and the Middle East um, for years and years when it was brought to America in 1611. And after that, it was used as a medicinal therapy and through the 19th and 20th centuries until the Tax Act of 1937. Um, and that act involved various healthcare professionals, um, yeah, various healthcare professionals testifying against its use and against this it's against its use and since then there's been so much exciting research and all of these like new aspects coming out about it and new possible therapies and everything um and so since then it has become legal in 29 states so it's legal in um states like colorado and oregon california on the west coast um as well as dc guam and puerto rico and then beyond the U.S., it's legal in quite a few countries. So um, Canada, Germany, Argentina, Israel, to name a few. Um, but I also think it's important to mention that, yes, it does have the medicinal therapy, but you can also use the plant for other, um, other products, like manufacturing other products, like rope or like 
clothing or there's hemp milk, like things like that too. Yeah, in fact, I remember a lot of those products being very popular when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so that leads us kind of into our next uh, question. Mm -hmm. How is this therapy practice today, whether it's uh, uh, evidence-based or not? How, how are people mostly using it today? You mean how is the public using it or how are professionals using it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, good uh, distinction. How are how are people using this outside of the um, medical community? That's a big question. <laughs> and in some ways, it really depends who you talk to. Um, I can speak a little bit about the patient population we have where I work at Santa Monica Homeopathic Pharmacy. Um, many of them are hearing about it a lot. And they're looking for ways to help certain conditions and symptoms that either are not helped by conventional medicine or they've run out of alternatives or they prefer not. We deal with a very, uh, in some ways, a select group of people. Usually people that come to us are at least open to natural medicine. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that I've kind of noticed um, in in the research that I've done, uh, at least on other topics, uh, it it seems like people are are hopeful for a medication that they may not understand, and they hope that it treats whatever they have. Um, and I know because of the intense popularity of cannabinoids right now, it might be one of those therapies that people are kind of hoping for, and they may not necessarily know what it specifically treats. Right. But we have so, heard a lot of people have heard from their friends or even from their healthcare providers. Why don't you give it a try? Or this works for me. Also, I think we really have to say here that some people are coming at from the other angle. They've used it recreationally for quite a while, and then they're hearing that it's got medicinal properties, and so they're kind of undergoing a conversion, where they're distinguishing between the recreational and the medicinal since they already know a bit about a bit of it recreationally. And that's been a big challenge for me. I've been a pharmacist for 40 years almost. And, and using a plant with so much potential that has been used or abused recreationally, I think some of us older people have a little challenge or a little bias. So there has been some hesitancy. Um, okay, so what are some of the strengths and weaknesses of using cannabinoid therapy? Um, I would say one of the strengths, just to start out, is that it can be used for so many different things. We were kind of drafting a list earlier, and we came up with so many different ones. The top three that we were talking about were like pain, anxiety, and sleep. Um, but we've also had, um, we've also heard people who have had success with it with nausea and vomiting um, and muscle spasms, even low appetite. So I think, yeah, that's definitely one of the pros is that there are so many opportunities for its use. And another pro I would argue is that there's so much ongoing research that it's just, we'll learn more and more and more and we'll learn, we'll learn where to put it and where it belongs in therapy too. Fantastic. Okay, so let's go on and talk about a clinical trial. We're going to kind of go about this, not quite like a, uh, oh, I forget the, the word of it, uh, the, not quite like a journal club, 
but uh, let's talk about uh, a clinical trial that you found that talks about cannabinoids. Most of the studies that we looked at were rodent studies, mice and rat studies. There's okay. been a few research studies uh, on humans. They've been small and you can't always apply what you learn from one research study to a cannabinoid that is in a different concentration or different ratio or that is, has a different delivery system. It's really quite complex how it's delivered and um, where it's coming from and what different ingredients are being extracted or grown for. So one study is not going to give us the same kind of information as you would expect. This is part of the beauty and the, the frustration with studying this plant. Because even just saying cannabis medicine could mean so many things. It could mean FDA-approved medications. It could bring, mean things that you get from your friend. It could mean lots of different things. And then to kind of build off that, when, when we saw this question about a recent clinical trial, we kind of reached out to our network and been kind of growing our network and trying to learn as much as possible and use all types of resources from people to databases and everything in between. Um, and we found that a lot of people would definitely agree that there just is so much variation that you don't know exactly how to extrapolate from a study like say a rodent study um, and that the use of clinical discretion is just key. Adam, I think it's worth your listeners understanding that extrapolating information from FDA, studies used for FDA approved drugs does not really say what's happening with the general public because you it's very rare you're going to use the high milligrams and the pure isolates that FDA is approving the drugs. Maybe possibly the isolates, but that's not the majority of what is being used right now. And the recent FDA approved product is for a very rare type of childhood seizures. So even just that patient population doesn't really lend itself to a lot of the patients that we're seeing that are very interested in integrating cannabis into their pharmacotherapy treatment. Okay, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think those are great things to bring up and uh, our audience will definitely need to know that information. I know that there are so many products out there. Is there a product that you would recommend that if, let's say, uh, a patient comes up to you and asks for your advice on cannabinoid medications, um, is there one that you would refer them to? I'm basing my answer because I get this all the time. Every single day being asked which one they should use. And the truth is that I'm still in research and development on this because I think whatever I look into one day, there's 10 more the next day. And there's different terminology also. So the answer is yes, as a pharmacy, we have decided to carry some products with cannabidiol, with CBD. We probably have about a dozen different products. And which one is the superior one? Like all of the groups of products we have, there's advantages and maybe less advantages of others. But how to direct it to that individual is not as clear as you would hope it to be. Because there's many factors. Um, 
in in deciding that so the answer is yes there are and i'd prefer not to say them on the air because that <laughs> I, I i can say that we've been approached we're approached almost daily by companies that want to stock their products in our store and we're looking over them very carefully and we probably could have half of our inventory with cannabinoid related type products at this point but we've chosen to limit it that's great. So for that, let's say just average across the, the few products that you do carry, um, if a patient wanted a 30-day supply, about how much would they have to pay? Good question. And I noticed one of the features of your podcast is that you always say that. You let people know about how much things will cost. And that does depend on several patient-oriented factors whether they're new to it or whether they've been consuming it before. Because people that are cannabinoid naive, as the phrase is going, then they would start out with much less. People that have been taking it for a while or they're expecting a lot from the product probably are going to have to take more. I, can I, I'll just give you a ballpark figure in Santa Monica, California. You probably have to be ready to spend about $40 for your initial dose. And that may or may not last the whole month, depending on whether you're just using it at night for sleep or whether you've got a chronic inflammatory condition and you're using it several times a day. So Adam, I'm sorry I can't give you these direct answers, but it is quite variable. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely understand and I appreciate that. I think that's a perfect answer. Okay, and so. Can I add a little bit? please? Um, so I was just going to say that comes back to what Dr. Tarlow and I were talking about a little bit earlier today um, in preparation for this is that when it comes to cannabinoid medicine, it's really all about personalized and individualized medicine. And that's why we're so excited that pharmacists are getting more and more involved and that you're doing podcasts like this and trying to educate different ph pharmacists on different topics like this. Um, because there is that emphasis on the practitioner-patient relationship and how, and we're trying to figure out how the pharmacist kind of fits into that role. So I think that when it comes to cost, that's one of the things that you'd consider is your relationship with your practitioner and, and where you can go from there. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I'm actually a, a big fan of personalized medicine, so I'm glad you brought that up. Finally... Is there some place, maybe a website or um, a place where pharmacists and patients can learn more about cannabinoid therapy? Oh, the question is, isn't, is there a place? Is that there are too many places? <laughs> How do you decide which one has the good information? Some of your listeners, especially your professional listeners, may be interested to read the proceedings from the FDA um, conference that they had a public hearing on the science of cannabidiol and that was at the end of May I think that was May 31st and we can provide you with the link if you would like and that was very illuminating because stakeholders of all kinds testified in front of an FDA committee about the science of cannabidiol and FDA is currently looking through that, but you get to see all the presentations and hear all the discussions from Alzheimer's groups to patients to manufacturers to healthcare providers to regulatory bodies. 
to all these different kinds of things. So that is one interesting place. I actually like the FDA website for cannabis information. Wow, that sounds fascinating. I bet we would like to look that up. I will definitely add that to the show notes. Now, I also um, would like to just comment, and this I couldn't have said while we were talking about my history, is my story is that when a new product comes out in the natural world, however you want to call it, first find out if there's an FDA-approved drug. And I go to that those websites and read it as a pharmacist. And now we've got several. We've got two of them. The old one has been around for a long time, but the newer one put out by GW Bioscience is a just a wealth of really good information. Now, it's slanted towards their product and why the FDA-approved product is better, yet it's very, very accessible for both patients and providers because it's written very clearly and has great diagrams and really helps to understand the endocannabinoid system and what these medications might do. So that's what I would suggest. Those two sites, just to begin with, to get an orientation to what's going on. And then there's several activist groups that are doing quite a good job at educating the public. That's fantastic. So if our audience would like to reach out to either of you, uh, do you have, uh, what's the best way that they can get a hold of you? Yeah, so that's actually um, something we wanted to talk to you about too. So we're very curious to know what your listeners want to know when it comes to cannabinoid medicine, whether they want to know about the theories, like the drug-drug interactions, drug-herb interactions potentially, um, how it can fit into medication therapy management and all of that. And we're trying to, we're curating some educational content around this. And so um, they can contact us at contact at farmsupplement.com. Um, yeah, and we're very, um, we're very excited to see what um, everyone is interested in learning and how we can be a part of their learning process. Great. Well, uh, I encourage all of our listeners to reach out and see what they have to offer. I know that uh, this is, again, this is a very growing field and it's, uh, it's kind of the, the buzz topic of our time. And uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. I want to thank you both so much for joining me today. It was a, a real treat to have you as my very first guests. Of course, thank you for having us. Thank you. Delightful talking to you, and I hope we have more conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you enjoy the leading podcast network dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know which channel is your favorite. And remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. I hope you enjoyed the Integrated Pharmacist Podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a good rating, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thank you.